1971, three high schools were merged to become one. George Washington High School, Hammond High School, and T.C. Williams High School. In the heart of the Deep South, Alexandria, Virginia. For the first time in this city's history, white and black football players would share the field and wear the same uniform. And they had to come together for one united goal, winning. What they had their eyes set on was winning the state championship of AAA football in Virginia. In the movie, Remember the Titans, displays the struggles that the players and the coaches all had to endure in this process. They had to be willing to set their differences aside, but it was definitely not an easy process for them to do so. The leader of each race community on that team, Gary Bertier and Julius Campo, were the leaders of their community, and they hated each other. They had to figure out how can we work together so that we can win. So this following clip, which we're going to play for you, shows what kept them divided and eventually what brought them together. So if you would play the clip, please. and just get this over with, all right? What's that, Willis? Yeah. No matter what I tell you, you ain't gonna never know nothing about hey, me. Hey, listen. I ain't running any more of these three days, okay? No, what I got to say, you really don't want to hear because honesty ain't too high up on your people priority list, right? Honesty? You want honesty? All right, honestly, I think you're nothing. Nothing but a pure waste of God-given talent. You don't listen to nobody, man. Not even Doc or Boone. Shiver push on the line every time, man. You blow right past them. Push them, pull them, do something. You can't run over everybody in this league. And every time you do, you leave one of your teammates hanging out to dry. Me in particular. Why should I give a hoot about you? Huh? Or anybody else out there? You want to talk about a waste? You the captain, right? Right. Captain's supposed to be the leader, right? Right. You got a job? I have a you job. You been doing your job? I've been doing my job. Then why don't you tell your white buddies to block for Rev better? Because they have not blocked for him. Worth a plug nickel, and you know it. Nobody plays. Yourself included. I'm supposed to wear myself out for the team? What team? No. No, what I'm going to do is I'm going to look out for myself, and I'm going to get mine. See, man. That's the worst attitude I ever heard. Attitude reflect leadership, Captain. What was that, Ray? 
Whatever it is, it ain't blocking. Give me a break. You want a break? I'll give you a break. Me and Julius. Wait a minute. Just let, let them in. Get to rev once, just one time. I swear to God, I'm gonna hit you so hard. By the time you come to, ooh boy, you're gonna need a new haircut. You understand me? <clears throat> Let's play, fellas. Run the ball. Let's run it again. how many times I watch that scene, it gives me chills every single time. And it makes me emotional every single time I watch that scene. These two men absolutely hated each other. All they could do was scream and yell at each other. But because they were willing to put their differences aside for the sake of their mission, for the sake of their goal, they were able to achieve the victory they had been longing for. Unfortunately, in the church, we have not modeled after their example. Far too often as a church, we are isolated, independent, only looking inwardly and not looking outwardly. We care more about what goes on inside this church versus what cares what's going on in the church as a whole. We need to learn from their example that they set for us and try and make sure we are working with other Christians and other churches around us so we can work for the utmost mission and goal of our lives, sharing the gospel and making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the idea that I mean by camaraderie. This is the camaraderie that we need to build, not just in our church, but with churches that are around us who are like-minded and have similar goals that we do. This is why the big idea for this morning is collaborate with Christians to glorify Christ. Collaborate with Christians to glorify Christ. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. So if you have your Bibles with you, please turn there or scroll there in your phones, whatever Bible you have with you, please turn there. And when we remember the book of Galatians, it's a it's a, it's a letter that Paul wrote to the churches in Galatia, and the Galatians are also fighting against a common enemy. They have false teachers who are among them called Judaizers who are intentionally teaching them false doctrine in order to have authority over their lives. These Judaizers are rejecting Paul's status as an apostle. So in the beginning of Paul's letter, which we talked about just a month ago, Galatians 1 through 10, Paul rebukes the Galatians because they're not believing the, the true gospel that he taught them. They're moving away from it and falling into the example of these Judaizers. 
then begin, the beginning in Galatians 1, 11, 1 through 10, he does all this. And then one eleven, he defends his status as an apostle commissioned by Christ. So here we are in Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Paul is still trying to show the Galatians, I truly am an apostle. Here's how you can know that I'm an apostle. So to help us understand it in the Galatians, he shows how he worked with the pillars of the apostles, Peter, James, and John. And this is where we get the idea of collaborate with Christians to glorify Christ. Let me read this whole passage for us, and then we'll break it down and see what it is Paul is trying to teach us today. So Galatians 2, 1 through 10. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us a slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seem influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So this passage can seem a bit obscure because it seems like Paul is just telling a story, trying to tell a story to the Galatians to defend how he is an apostle. Well, if we look at these first five verses, Paul is essentially asking a question to the Galatians, and his question is, will you collaborate against collusion? Will you collaborate against collusion? This collusion that he's talking about is the false teachers. So you, Galatians, are you going to work together as a community of churches to reject these false teachers, just how I did with Peter, James, and John, how we drove out the false teachers in our meeting together? But we need a little bit more information of what happens in the previous chapter in Galatians for this to really make sense. So we look in Galatians 1, 11 through 17, Paul is doing some things specifically to help demonstrate his point. He shows how the gospel has to be from God. It has to have a divine origin because humanity cannot save themselves. And Paul says, look, I was so zealous in Judaism that I was persecuting the church because I thought Judaism was the right way. But what happened is I was divinely called by Jesus Christ, to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And that's how the Lord worked in him. Jesus called Paul away from persecuting against the church to preaching the gospel for the church. And after this, Paul becomes the apostle to the Gentiles. So where does he go? He goes to the Gentiles. He goes to Arabia, and he goes to Damascus. 
in Galatians 1, 18 through 24, continues that idea of the gospel, where Paul talks about how he taught the gospel to the Gentiles. He talks about how he met with Peter for 15 days, and by meeting with Peter, they were able to discuss the gospel, make sure that they were working together, that they were all on the same page, that they weren't working against each other. He also meets with James, and they test their doctrine together, make sure that they're all aligned. Paul is bold enough to testify before God himself that he is an apostle and that he teaches the Galatians the truth about the gospel. He's willing to call that upon himself because he's so confident in his calling and in his mission. Paul goes to his hometown, the region where he grew up, and starts teaching the gospel there. The Christians who he himself was persecuting, he's now preaching the gospel to. And these believers affirm Paul's status as an apostle, and they affirm the gospel that he is teaching to them. And these believers in Paul's hometown glorify how God is working inside Paul. This is the context where we find ourselves in Galatians chapter 2. And Paul does this for 14 years. Galatians 2 begins, then after 14 years. So for 14 years, he faithfully preaches the gospel to the Gentiles. That's a pretty long time. I've barely been alive 14 years, okay? I'm young, and he's been doing it for 14 years, working alongside the apostles, even though they had never really been together before. Paul was incredibly obedient to this revelation that was given to him. He he sees this revelation, and then he goes. He does it. And we have the same revelation right here in Scripture. This is the revelation of the Lord to us. So when scripture tells us how we should behave and what it is that we should believe, we should likewise submit to this just as Paul did when he went to Jerusalem. And Paul goes to Jerusalem when he's there and he meets with the esteemed apostles, Peter, James, and John, the inner circle of Jesus. They had direct contact with Jesus the most of any of his disciples. And Paul humbles himself and says, I need to make sure I am working with them. He has to make sure the gospel he teaches is correct. He has to make sure his doctrine is correct. And he does it all by collaborating with them. He doesn't want to run in vain anymore. He was when he was a Jew and he was persecuting the church. And he wants to make sure he's not doing that same thing by teaching a false gospel. We likewise have to make sure that we are collaborating against collusion the same way that Paul does. We have to make sure that we believe and that we teach the right things to people so that we don't run in vain, just like how Paul was. Sometimes the way that we do collude against the church is by having bad doctrine. When we believe and teach incorrect things about the gospel, we are defaming and slandering the gospel. So we must ensure and check ourselves with Scripture and what God teaches so that we don't commit those mistakes. But how do we make sure that we're doing this? How can we ensure that we are teaching and believing and acting in a way that is aligned with the gospel? 
Well, in the letter of 1 John, he gives three tests for us. The first is the moral test. You can check by your morals to see if you are believing and acting in a way that is consistent with the gospel. So here's what it says in 1 John 2, 3 through 6. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever he abides, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. The same morals that Jesus Christ teaches, we live out. So that's the first test we have, is the moral test. The second is the doctrinal test, which is just later in 1 John chapter 2. Here's what he says there. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lies of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. So it's not just doing the right thing, it's believing the right thing. By having correct doctrine that aligns with Scripture, that's how we can know that we are doing the right thing and collaborating against collusion. The third test is the love test. In 1 John chapter 4, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this love, not that we have loved God, but he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So another way to make sure you are collaborating against this collusion that Paul is talking about is the way that you love other people. Are you willing to put yourself to the side to do what is best for the other person regardless? So will you collaborate against this collusion? And this collusion is about the idea of circumcision. This is why in verse 3, Paul is almost shocked that Titus, who is a Greek, leaves Jerusalem uncircumcised. He thought that the Jews might have made him get circumcised because that was a part of the law. But Paul is almost shocked because they recognize together, as apostles, you don't have to be circumcised in order to be saved. Salvation comes through faith alone, and they work together to shut away this false teaching of the Judaizers are putting on them. And this enslavement that Paul is discussing, that these Judaizers are wanting to put on them, is because the Judaizers, these false teachers, want to have authority over the apostles. They want to make the rules. They want to be in charge. So that makes them the authority, not this. That's what it is these Judaizers are desiring. And this enslavement also comes to the law. Paul describes later in the book of Galatians that they are freed from the law because Christ already died under the law for them. This is why if we add anything to Christ or take anything away from Christ, we are enslaving ourselves or we are enslaving ourselves to others. All of the apostles here work together to collaborate against this collusion by the Judaizers. They work together 
In verse 5, it says, To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment. And why did they not yield for a moment? So that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you, for me. It, of course, they, they wanted to make sure they honored the Lord. They didn't want to defame the gospel or slander the gospel. Of course, that's in mind for them. What's also in mind for them is they want the gospel to be preserved for you and for me. That we can know that salvation comes through Christ alone, through faith in him alone. This brings me back to the movie Remember the Titans, one of my favorite movies. I love this movie so much. In this movie, you might remember in that previous clip, Gary confronts one of his teammates because he's not doing his job the way he's supposed to be. Saying, you better make sure you're doing your job or I'm going to hit you so hard you have to get a new haircut. That's how mad he is because he's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. Well, it turns out that was a consistent theme for him throughout the season. He intentionally, during their football season, would miss blocks on purpose to harm his team, to collude against his team because he didn't want to play alongside black players. He had a black quarterback and a black running back who he didn't want to block for, so he would intentionally miss them. Ray was colluding against the football team. Gary sees this. He recognizes it. He's the captain of the team. So he goes to his coach and says, Coach, I can't tolerate this. I'm the captain of this team. He's working against us. He can't be on this team anymore. You need to suspend him or do something. And the coach looks at him and says, you're the captain. That's your job. If you want him off the team, go do it yourself. So he goes to this man who's intentionally missing blocks, his best friend since childhood. He says, Ray, you're off the team. You're colluding against this team. I can't have that. I am responsible for this team as the captain, and you're done. And he kicks his best friend off of the football team because he has the team in mind, not himself as an individual. That sort of collusion is unthinkable in football. What coach would tolerate that in any sport? None, right? But why do we so often tolerate that in the church? There are many who do collude against the church because they have bad beliefs, bad teachings, bad morals, bad behaviors. We, as a Boy Baptist Church, need to work together. We need to collaborate against this collusion. We have to work with other churches who are like-minded to us, who have a similar mission in mind. And by doing that, we will collaborate against collusion. We need to no longer be isolated and make sure we're working with others. Believers can also stop this collusion because we have to know what the gospel is. And by knowing what the gospel is, we can go against those that are false. I'm sure any of you who have been on Facebook have seen a false gospel in the last 24 hours. They're all over the place. Now, Facebook is not the right place to, to stand up to it, probably. But if it's someone you love and you care about and they're believing and teaching a false doctrine in the way that they post things on Facebook, 
we as a church can collaborate against that by standing up to them and lovingly saying, hey, I saw you made a post and I'm concerned that you're teaching something that's false. Can we have a conversation about this? Can we have coffee? That's a hard conversation to have, but it's one that's necessary if we want to work against this collusion. We have to make sure that we are growing in our own walk of holiness. I've seen a sign before that says Christians aren't sinless, but they do sin less, or at least they should. If we want to honor and glorify our Father in heaven, we need to make sure that we are participating in this walk of holiness because our sin is a slander against the gospel, a slander against our Father in heaven. So let's collaborate against collusion by growing in our own holiness. But Paul isn't just describing what we have to collaborate against. He's also asking what we're going to collaborate for. Will you collaborate for the church? Will you? Will you collaborate for the church that God has so graciously given to us? Are you going to do it? Paul does. He's asking you, he's asking me if we will do the same. Paul displays his strong desire from the beginning in Galatians 2 to work with the influential ones, not because of who he is, not even because of who these influential ones are. He wants to do it because of how amazing the gospel is. Paul also mentions that they did not add anything to him. What does this mean? Paul is going back to this idea that the Galatians are learning from these Judaizers that he is a false apostle. So Paul intentionally says, um, no, I'm not a false apostle. If you don't believe me, go ask Peter, James, and John. They didn't add anything to the gospel I teach. They didn't take anything away from the gospel I teach. They confirmed the gospel that I do teach. He has circumcision in mind here. This is why the mention of bringing Titus is so important in this passage. He's saying, yeah, I brought Titus with me, who's uncircumcised, and I, brought and I also brought Barnabas with me, who is circumcised. They didn't make Titus get circumcised. They let him stay as he was because they knew circumcision is not what's important in salvation. It's faith in Christ. So they don't add anything to what he teaches to the Gentiles. This word entrusted that Paul uses is for himself, but also for the other apostle, Peter. It's establishing they both have a status as capital A apostles. It belongs to both of them but they also know their roles. Peter is the apostle to the Jews, to the circumcised. Peter understands that's to whom he is to preach the gospel. And Paul understands that he is the apostle to the uncircumcised, to the Gentiles, to the nations that are around Israel. They both know their role. They are entrusted in that role. They don't fight to get the other person's role. They humbly submit to what it is they are called to do by the Lord. They have gifts and talents that they're supposed to use for the Lord. And they go and do it. The same idea still applies to us. Every single one of you is gifted. Every single one of you is talented. The Lord has given you something that you can use 
for this church. Every single church that exists has needs that need to be filled. So let's see those needs. Let's see how we're gifted. Let's fill those needs. That's how we can collaborate for the church. Of course, there are differences in roles and authority in the church. Paul and Peter both recognize, oh, we're capital A apostles. Other believers are to submit to us because that's the role and the authority we were given by Jesus Christ. But when salvation is dependent upon worldly things or the authority we're given in the church, salvation is entirely based upon the grace of Christ, the grace of our Father in heaven. They, they worked together. They collaborated as equals. They know that they are both capital A apostles. They don't try and get on each other's territory. All of us who are in Christ are one. In terms of salvation, we are only seen as being either in Christ or outside of Christ. Where you are in terms of authority in the church is not what determines where you are. And what's really interesting here is that the right hand of fellowship is given to Paul and to Barnabas toward the end of this passage. This is really, really significant here. The right hand isn't just something you give out to anybody. It's something you give to a friend, to a comrade, to a partner in the same mission. And they encourage Paul and Barnabas in their mission to the Gentiles. They say, yes, you are doing great things for the kingdom of God. Keep going. Don't stop. They build him up. So likewise, if we see the Lord working in someone's life, affirm what the Lord is doing in them. Encourage them. Support them. Love on them. This is how we can collaborate for the church of Jesus Christ. We have to do this well. And this last thing in verse 10, where Paul talks about remembering the poor, it seems just random in this passage. This passage hasn't had anything to do with the poor so far. So why is Paul mentioning it? Well, if we compare it to the book of Acts, it gives us some examples. So in Acts 11, 27 through 30, it helps, it's really, really insightful. So here's what this passage says. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. The reason Barnabas and Paul originally went to Jerusalem was to help the apostles. A famine was coming. They had been told by a revelation from the Lord that a famine was on the way. So Barnabas and Paul gather as much food as they possibly can. They bring it to Jerusalem to feed them. They are working together. They're collaborating together for the sake of the church as a whole. So Peter, James, and John see what they're doing, and they're so thankful to the Lord for what it is they have done for them. They wouldn't have been able to survive in this famine if they hadn't brought them food. And they said, yes, thank you so much for helping us before this famine comes. 
what you just did for us. Keep going. Keep doing it among the Gentiles. This is how they collaborated together. This is how they collaborated for the church. So will you collaborate for the church in the same way they did? Again, going back to Remember the Titans. I just love this movie so much. There's a great example of collaboration in that movie as well. At the end of the movie, the Titans are playing in the championship game, the state championship for the state of Virginia, AAA football, the highest level of high school football in the state of Virginia. All season long, the two main coaches of the team have been butting heads all year. One is in charge of the offense, one is in charge of the defense. Anytime one tries to offer support of the other or try and give insight or suggestions on how things should be done, the other says, nope, this is my side of the ball. You stay on yours. Don't touch my stuff. I'm in charge of this side. You stay in charge of your side. That's how they react to each other. But the state championship game comes, and their ideas aren't working anymore. They're getting beat in the first half. It's halftime. They have to figure something out because it's not working. Eventually, these coaches get it. They humble themselves. They put their pride to the side. And they say, Coach, I'm getting beat really badly out there tonight. Can you help me? They both ask each other for the help that they need. And it's absolutely changed the outlook of the championship game for the Titans. It's actually what allowed them to achieve the victory in the state championship game. In 1971, this actually happened. This movie is based off of real events. Perhaps the 1971 state champions, the Titans, are possibly the most dominant team in Virginia state history. They annihilated pretty much everyone. They didn't really have much competition. Because they collaborated together, they achieved their ultimate mission, winning the state championship. So why are we so often stubborn in the same way? In our own faith walks, why do we just put up our hands and try and do it by ourselves? Why do we often think that the ministries are about the individuals who are in charge of them rather than the head of the church, Jesus Christ? We, as a, at a Boyd Baptist Church, have room for growth. I am particularly included here in laying down our pride so that we can collaborate for the church. Not just this church, the church as a whole. We have to do a better job of listening. That probably sounds really hypocritical coming from the most talkative person in this church but we need to do a better job of listening. Hearing what others in this church have to say. I learned in high school that all feedback is neutral. No matter how positively or negatively it's said, it's all neutral. We need to hear what people say and humbly apply it to ourselves, no matter how true or how false it might seem in the moment. Each member of the church has to know what role they play 
Every role is important. There's the elders of the church. There's the deacons of the church. There's the members of the church. Every single one is important. Know how you fit in. Know how you can serve this church. And do it well. Do it to the best of your ability. Because it's not about anyone in this church. It's all about the glory of Jesus Christ. We need to work alongside brothers and sisters in Christ despite minute differences in doctrine. Of course, we have to know our convictions. We have to ground them in Scripture. And we should be willing to die for them if necessary. But this shouldn't prevent us from working alongside our brothers and sisters in Christ for the sake of the gospel. If we would put our hands up to anyone who has differences from us in doctrine, this church would not operate. It would fail immediately. Because even elders of churches have differences in minute doctrines. But what do churches do well? They lay aside those minute differences because the church has a common cause, making disciples of Jesus Christ. We have to know what's important enough to die for and what is unimportant enough to serve alongside others. Paul has made it abundantly clear in this passage with a big idea. Collaborate with Christians to glorify Christ. And he asks us two questions. Will you collaborate against collusion? Paul did. Christ did. Will you collaborate for the church? Well, Jesus built the church. He did everything for the church. He did everything for you and me. Just the same way that Paul collaborated with the apostles, we should continue in their example we also should work for the sake of the church to build it up so that the love of Christ can be seen to all around us. It seems obvious. It seems clear, like, duh. Of course we're supposed to work together. Christ prayed for unity all the time for the church. Paul talks about unity all the time for the church. It seems simple. It seems easy. But how hard is it to live out? So, I have a question for all of us to consider. What is stopping you from collaborating with others for Christ? What's getting in the way? What issues have you made too big so you can't work with your brothers and sisters in Christ? At Boy Baptist Church, we want to be known for living on mission for Jesus. That's our mantra. It's our slogan. It's our motto. It's what we want to do. But we can't do that as a church if we aren't willing to lay aside some differences. If we're not willing to work for the kingdom of God and to work for the king himself. So when we do have issues with others, we have to make sure we are doing everything we possibly can to resolve them as much as it is dependent upon us. Pride cannot get in the way because if it does, it becomes man-centered instead of God-centered. And we will fail in our mission for Christ. Identify and examine yourselves. See what your giftings are. God has given them to you for a reason. Identify them. Talk to others about it. And when you do, be compelled by the power of the Spirit that He has given you. Go! 
do it. We have nothing that should hold us back. Everything we should do should be for his glory. And what glorifies him is building this church, building every church. Let's go. Let's make disciples. Let's not have anything stop us anymore. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's all about Christ.